was a southern gospel song written in the 1960s called Jesus on the Main Line. Any y'all familiar with that song? Raise your hand if you've heard of that song, Jesus on the Main Line. Anybody? Okay, a few of you. All right, great, great. Well, I hope I don't ruin it for you today, all right? Though it's a catchy song, I think it takes the wrong approach when it comes to Jesus. In the song are these lyrics. It says, Jesus is on the main line. Tell him what you want. Jesus is on the main line. Tell him what you want. It keeps repeating that. Then it says, you can call him up and tell him what you want. And if you want someone to sing it to you over the break, you can have Brett Wagner back there. I see him mouthing the words. So have him sing it to you. Then it says this. It says, the line ain't never busy. Tell him what you want. The line ain't never busy. Tell him what you want. You can call him up and tell him what you want. And then it says, if you're sick and you want to get well, tell him what you want. You can call him up and tell him what you want. Many in our world today view Jesus in this way and share Jesus in this way. We will say something like this. If you need Jesus, just call on him. Call him up. He's there if you need him. The line is never busy. He's waiting on your call. That's how many share Jesus. I saw an ad online not too long ago, and it was an ad for Jesus. And though this kid's heart was in the right place, he said this. He he was trying to sell Jesus, and the title of the ad was, Are You Tired? And then the ad says, Jesus is your answer. Are you struggling with loneliness or addiction or in financial trouble or having relationship issues? If so, call on Jesus and he can help you. And some of you hear that. You think to yourself, well, Graham, what's wrong with that? Jesus is the hope for the hopeless, right? He can take people who are struggling physically and restore them and I agree with that but here's my issue here's the thing the Bible doesn't present Jesus as this guy who is there if we need him just sitting by the phone hoping that we'll call him up the Bible doesn't say if we need him call upon him the Bible says we need him We all need him. It doesn't say if you need him. It says you need him. And the reason why is because without him, we don't have life. We don't have life without Jesus. It doesn't matter if you're lonely or not, depressed or not, whether you're struggling financially or or not, whether your marriage is on the rocks or not, whether you're addicted to drugs or not. If you're not in Christ... If you have not placed your faith in him alone for your salvation, you're in need. You're in need. And what we're to do as believers is we are to share the gospel in such a way that addresses this need. No, you can share the physical needs that people have. You need to show people that we all have a deeper spiritual need. You see, oftentimes we just share about the physical problems in our world that cause us pain and we stop short of the heart. Don't do that. Don't do that. You know why? Because scripture doesn't do that. Jesus doesn't do that. 
His disciples and his apostles didn't do that. Scripture is clear that our main problem is not exterior, folks. It's it's interior. In every one of us, without exception, we have this problem. Our hearts are not right with God. We are spiritually bankrupt. We are apart from and set against God because of our sin. Sin is what some call the the great equalizer. What that means is, it doesn't matter if you're rich or poor, sick or healthy, married or miserably divorced, if you're not trusting in Christ alone for your salvation, if you're going at life on your own, you're dead in sin with God's wrath set against you. And the only hope for you is Jesus. That's it. People don't need to be told that Jesus is there if and when they need him. They need to be told they need Jesus and will perish without him. That's what the gospel says, does it not? We need Jesus. We need the life he lived. We need the forgiveness that he brings. We need his work that he accomplished on the cross applied to us. We need his righteousness accredited to us. We need him to stand in our place and we need him to return for us. We all, every one of us, need Jesus. We do. So we sang just a moment ago, in Christ alone, our hope is found. In him alone, we need Jesus. We are continuing our sermon series this morning on the five alones of Christianity. We have looked at scripture alone. We've looked at grace alone. We've looked at faith alone. And today we're going to talk about sola Christus, which is Latin for Christ alone. Christ alone. This was another key doctrine that was reintroduced at the time of the Reformation. And this teaching basically says that we're saved by Christ alone, through his person and through his work alone. This doctrine says that there is no other way to be saved, no other way to be forgiven, no other way for us to be made right with God but through Jesus and though the reformers like Luther and others focus primarily on the fact that in Christ alone is salvation in him and in him alone we are forgiven and made right with God because of his person and because of his works though we're going to focus on that this morning we're going to focus on more than just that in addition to Christ being our only hope for salvation, we're going to focus on the fact that Christ is our only help for everything. For absolutely, positively everything. Christ is our everything. He created us. He redeemed us. He intercedes for us. He stands before the Father on our behalf, and He is our only hope for the future. We're going to learn this morning That in Christ alone, we have physical life, spiritual life, and eternal life, both physically and spiritually in him and with him forever. First, let's talk about the fact that in Christ, we have physical life. And the reason why, point number one, is because Christ alone is our creator. If you have your Bibles, turn to Hebrews chapter 1. 
and Mark Hebrews, okay? We're going to be jumping around a bit in Scripture, but we're going to be in Hebrews quite a bit. So when you get to Hebrews, just Mark Hebrews. We're going to look now at Hebrews chapter 1, verses 1 and 2. The writer of Hebrews says this, Long ago, at many times and in many ways, God spoke to our fathers by the prophets, verse 2. But in these last days, he has spoken to us by his Son, whom he appointed the heir of all things, through whom also he created the world. Now, one of the main points the author is making throughout the book of Hebrews is that Jesus Christ is supreme over everything. He is supreme over the angels, over the priests, and over the prophets. And he says in verse 1, In the past, the way God has communicated to us is through these prophets, plural. But this verse also says, In recent days, however, God has communicated to us not through prophets, plural, but through the prophet, the Lord Jesus Christ. He's making the point here that Jesus Christ is greater than the former prophets. And I want you to notice at the end of verse 2, just to make the point of how much greater Jesus is, the author says, the Son is the one whom God appointed the heir of all things and through whom he made the world. He is saying here that Jesus is creator of everything. The Son is creator. Now, the way the Bible explains this is like this. The Father, Son, and Holy Spirit have always been, right? They've always been. They were there at creation. The Father was there at creation, and so was the Son. We're told in John 1.1. He was with God, and he was God, and he is God. Jesus is God. He was there. And we learn as we continue through Scripture that God the Son is the one doing the creating. We're told that the Father, through the Son, creates. The Son is is creator. Now, there are a lot of other verses to support this. Let's look at John 1, verse 3. Talked about John 1 just a minute ago. Let's look at verse 3. We're told, John tells us, all things were made through him. Through who? He's talking about Jesus here, right? And without him was not anything made that was made. John here is talking about Jesus, the second person of the Trinity, and he says, all things were created by Christ, and there was nothing created that he did not create. So we believe Jesus Christ is creator. Everything that has been created has been created by him. Now, why is this important for us to point out? Well, when many of us think about Jesus Christ, we have a tendency to think about his beginnings just being here on earth. It's what we celebrate around Christmas. But what we learn from passages like John 1 and Colossians 1 and Hebrews 1 is that Jesus preceded Christmas, right? He is is God the Son, eternal, creator of all that is. The reason why you and I are here is because of him. He created man from the dust on the ground, and he created us. And we're told by Paul in Colossians 1, get this, that in him all things hold together. So he's not only our creator, he is our sustainer. The reason why we exist and keep on existing is because of Jesus. The writer of Hebrews in Hebrews 1.3 says, Jesus 
is the radiance of the glory of God and the exact imprint of his nature. And get this, this is amazing. He upholds the universe by the word of his power. Now that's power. So though there was a certain time in history when God the Son took on flesh and became one of us to live for us and die for us and be raised for us so that he could save us, he has always existed as God said during his earthly ministry before Abraham was what? I am. Though he was David's son physically, he was David's Lord spiritually. Christ is eternally God and the creator and sustainer of all that is. Now, why is it important that we focus on this? Focus on the fact that Jesus is our creator. Because this truth affirms Christ's authority as creator God. He has authority as creator. He is our creator and sustainer. And he took on flesh and he came to earth to tell us how things are going to be. He came to tell us how we're supposed to live and who we're supposed to live for. And even though we have our own agendas and we want to go at life on our own, Jesus created this world and us to live in it. So who are we to question him and go against him when he tells us how we're supposed to live? Listen, someone is acting as Lord of your life this morning. And the question you need answered this morning is, who is it? Is it you or is it creator king Jesus? At times we hear people say, or maybe you've said this a time or two, we'll say, that's my life, yeah? I choose how I want to live. Nobody stands over me and tells me what to do with my life. Scripture says it's not your life. You're not your own. Christ created you, and he is giving you breath to breathe moment by moment. Whether you want to acknowledge that or not, that is the truth. He is is sustaining you, and he is keeping the world in which you live together by the word of his power. What he calls for us to do is for us to give the lives that he gave to us back to him. He calls for us to take the breath that he's giving us to breathe and breathe back out praises to him. He wants our hearts that he's given us to belong to him and serve him. He wants the hands and the feet that he made to do acts of of service to him and to live for him. He is our creator. He wants us, his creation, to live for him. Here's the next point. Christ alone is our savior. He alone is our savior. As we said a moment ago, this teaching of salvation through the person and work of Christ alone was another key teaching that was reintroduced during the time of the Reformation. And this teaching teaches us that there is no other way to be saved, no other way to be forgiven, no other way for us to be made right with God, only through the person and work of Christ. And this is spelled out very, very clearly for us in God's word. Remember, Peter said in Acts chapter 4, verse 12, there is salvation in no one else, for there is no other name under heaven given among men by which we must be saved pretty clear right 
Listen to what Jesus said about it. Many of you have this verse committed to memory. John 14, 6. I am the way, the truth, and the life. No one comes to the Father except through me. Again, pretty clear. Christ alone. Now, some of you are probably thinking, why did Luther and the other reformers have to reintroduce this doctrine to the church? I mean, that's as foundational a doctrine as we have in Christianity, right? Well, in Luther's day, the church believed that when a person died, they went to purgatory. And they were detained there for a time and were dependent upon the prayers and the religious acts of the faithful within the church to be released from purgatory. At this time, those in the church believed that they could do certain works for friends and family who had died to reduce their time spent in purgatory. Well, when Luther and the other reformers began to study the scriptures, they learned that the Bible didn't teach about purgatory. They came to realize that there is only one who has the ability to save according to God's word. There is only one true intercessor, one mediator between God and man, and that is the Lord Jesus Christ. They, they learned that salvation is not a work that we can do for ourselves, nor is it a work that we as believers can do on behalf of someone else. There is only one who is able to save, and that is Jesus Christ. And then some of you will hear that and you'll think, okay, now I understand what it meant for Luther in his day. Why do we have to go over this? I mean, we should know this, right? Why is it important for us to spend an entire Sunday morning talking about this doctrine that Christ alone is our Savior? Well, I'll tell you why. Because we live in a day and age where it's not popular to take a strong stance on anything. It's true. There are some who think that because there are a lot of different beliefs out there, I'm going to avoid taking a strong stance on just one, and I'm going to say all religious roads lead to God and avoid being wrong on any one belief. This is what is called pluralism, and it's on the rise in our world today, but it's nothing new, right? It's nothing new. Here's the problem with that reasoning. The claims made about Christ and that Christ made about himself are exclusive. They leave no room for any other way. Jesus said, I am the way. Peter says, there is salvation in no one else. Only Christ, sola Christus, Christ alone, period. So we can't take the position of both and. We can't say that there are many religious roads that lead to God and Christianity is one of those roads because Christianity says there's only one road. Only one way to God through Jesus. So if you take the position that there are many ways, you have to reject Christianity because Christianity says there's only one. Only one way. Another reason it's important to be reminded of this doctrine is because, like we've been saying over the past few weeks in here, there are many in our world today who believe that they bring something of worth to the table when it comes to salvation. We've talked about this at great lengths already when we talked about grace alone and faith alone. We bring nothing positive. The only thing we contribute when it comes to our salvation is our sin that makes us in need of what Christ has done. That's it. 
Don't believe me? Go back and read Ephesians 2, 1 through 10. Nothing good about us in there. Everything good about God. Nothing good about us. We bring nothing positive. We cannot be who God has called us to be. We cannot save ourselves. Only Christ can save us. We need him and him alone for salvation. Now let's talk about the ways in which Christ has saved us. Number one, he lived for us. That's a sub-point of number two. He lived for us. You've heard it said that we're not saved by works, right? Well, that's not altogether true. We're not saved by our works, but we are saved by the works that Christ has done on our behalf. He fulfilled all righteousness, as it says in Matthew 3.15. He lived the perfect life for us. This point is so very important to remember because normally when explaining how Jesus accomplished our salvation, our minds go immediately to the cross and we skip over the life that Christ Live. Now, there's nothing wrong with going to the cross. You need to get there. But we must also focus on the 33 years in which Jesus lived. Before dying for us, Christ first had to live for us. So that when he lays his life down at the cross, not only can he take on our sin and be punished for that sin in our place, but so he can also in turn give us his righteous life that he lived for us. On our behalf, Paul says in 2 Corinthians 5.21, one of my favorite verses in Scripture, for our sake, God made Jesus to be sin, who knew no sin, so that in him we might become the righteousness of God. That's called the great exchange. We get Christ's righteous life and he gets our sin. It's an amazing gift that he's given us. Our sin is able to be transferred to Christ and it is taken care of at the cross and Christ is able to apply his righteous life to us because he lived the perfect life for us. So he lived for us. Another way Christ saves us is by suffering for us. That's point number two of point number uh, two. (laughs) Sub-point number two of point two. He suffered and died for us. First of all, we're told that he suffered throughout his entire life. Christ lived a life of poverty and suffering. Now, normally when we think of Jesus' suffering, we, we think of the cross. We think of him dying on the cross, and that's a key part. That's a pivotal part of the suffering he endured for us. But we cannot forget the fact that Christ suffered throughout his entire life. Listen, when you live in this world that is fallen, you necessarily experience pain. You necessarily experience suffering. How many of y'all have experienced suffering to some degree or another in your life? Raise your hand. Should be everybody, right? Yeah. We, we all have. Of course we have. That's a result of living in a fallen world. We suffer. When Jesus took on flesh and came to earth, he experienced what we experience. He lost loved ones. He experienced the sting of living in a fallen, sin-stained world. And the reason he did this was to identify with us in every way. And like we said just a moment ago, not only did he suffer in that way in his life, but he suffered in death. 
That's the second more significant way Jesus suffered was at the cross. Now, there are three ways Jesus suffered at his crucifixion. And I didn't put these down because my outline would just look crazy if I did that. But you can jot these down. He suffered physically, he suffered emotionally, and he suffered spiritually. First one's obvious, right? Christ suffered physically. Roman crucifixion was known at this time for being one of the most brutal, most grotesque forms of capital punishment imaginable. It was carefully designed to be very slow and excruciatingly painful. Jesus died in this way. It was also very, very shameful, so much so that a Roman citizen could not die by crucifixion. So he died a shameful death on a painful cross. He experienced physical pain. He also experienced emotional pain, the emotional pain of abandonment. The father forsook the son. He turned his face away, as we sing in here on occasion. And many of you, you felt this pain, this pain of abandonment, right? Some of you have felt it in in your time when you, you needed someone the most. When you were at your greatest time of need, you felt abandonment, and Christ endured this When Jesus took on the sins of the world upon himself, the Father could not look upon him. He turned away from him, which is why Jesus responded the way that he does. He says, my God, my God, why have you forsaken me? Jesus felt and sensed this loneliness, the pain of abandonment from the Father. And he did it to accomplish salvation for us. And on top of those things, on top of experiencing physical pain and emotional pain, Christ also experienced spiritual pain, the pain of bearing sin and being crushed by God. God's wrath, folks, had to be satisfied. God is a righteous God, and he cannot overlook sin. He cannot sweep it under the rug. Sin had to be dealt with, and so Jesus became sin. He took on sin, the sins of of us all, and he was crushed for it. He endured God's wrath. He drank of the cup of God's wrath. He was crushed by God for us so that we would not have to be crushed. So that we could be forgiven. How incredible is that? Isaiah 53. We're told God laid upon him, on Christ, the iniquity of us all. And he crushed his son so he would not have to crush us. So that we could be forgiven and restored to him through Jesus. So Christ saves us because he lived for us. He saves us because he suffered and died for us and also because he was raised for us. We're going to talk about this in greater detail in March, throughout the month of March, which is when Easter falls this year. We learn in Scripture Jesus' life and his death, they mean very little if Christ is not raised. Paul said this, said in 1 Corinthians 15, 14, And if Christ has not been raised, then our preaching is in vain and your faith is in vain. It's Christ's resurrection that validates and seals the work he accomplishes for us in his life and death. So we're we're saved because of the life of Christ, because of his perfect obedience that he accredits to us and because of the suffering and death of Christ and also because of his resurrection. 
So the reason why we need Jesus, the reason why I said he is our everything is because he is our creator and he is our savior. But not only that, he alone is our perfect high priest. He is our perfect representative. He is our go-between, our intercessor, our mediator. He is our high priest. In the Old Testament, you had a priest who was a Levite. And you had a sacrifice, which was an animal, a lamb, a bull, a goat, a ram. and you had a, So you had a priest and you had a, a sacrifice. And the people would go to their priest and they would take this animal. And the priest would then go before God and he would intercede before God on, the, on behalf of the people of God. And he would offer prayers to God and offer the animal to God as a sacrifice. And listen, Jesus, he does a similar work, but greater, superior, far superior to that. You see, in the New Testament, we see Jesus functions as both priest and sacrifice. He acted as our priest, and as our priest, he offered a sacrifice for us before God, and that sacrifice was himself. He laid his own life down, and that sacrifice he offered, he offered it once and for all. He took care of sins, past, present, and future. And there's something else that's very, very important. Not only was Jesus our priest, but he is our priest. Not only was he our priest, but he is our priest right now. The author of Hebrews says in Hebrews 7.24 that Jesus holds his priesthood permanently. He's our permanent priest Listen to Hebrews 7.25. Consequently, Jesus is able to save to the uttermost those who draw near to God through him since he always lives, always lives to make intercession for them. In this text, the writer of Hebrews is contrasting the Old Testament priests, plural, with the New Testament priest who is Jesus. And he says that in the Old Testament, there were tons of priests. And the reason why is because they got old and died. So you had to have more priests, right? In the New Testament, we only have one priest. Why? Because though he died, he was raised again. He lives forever. And he is our perfect priest before God. You know why? Because he's fully God. And he is also the perfect priest for us. You know why? Because he's fully man. He is the God-man. And he always lives to stand for us. He always lives. He is our go-between now and forever. He is interceding for us right now. Hebrews 7, it says Jesus always lives to make intercession for us. He alone is our perfect and eternal priest. Listen to what Paul says about it, just in case we haven't gotten it yet. Romans 8, 34, he says, who is to condemn? Christ is the one who died more than that, who was raised, who is at the right hand of God, who indeed is interceding, present tense, for us. Jesus right now is interceding for you believers and for me. 
He is currently functioning as our priest right now. Now, he's not offering any more sacrifices. He has offered the perfect sacrifice for us by laying his life down. He offered it once and for all for sin, but he is currently before God as our mediator, our intercessor, our priest. Jesus is interceding for us right now. He is the lamb who was slain our Lord who is raised, our King who is enthroned on high, and our priest who stands for us forever. So encouraging. Is it not? If you're here this morning, you're trusting in Christ alone for your salvation. If you have a relationship with the Lord Jesus, if you truly know him, know this. You have a priest who is supreme who is fully God and fully man, who is interceding on your behalf right now and will be forever, forever. Let me just mention this as well, since we're talking about what Jesus is doing at present for us. This will lead us into our last point here. In Scripture, we learn that there is a past, present, and future aspect to salvation. When we turn from our sin and we trust in Christ alone for salvation, we are saved. Paul talks about that in Ephesians chapter 2. We have been saved as believers. But there is also a present and future aspect to our salvation, to us who have been saved. Jesus says in Matthew 24, 13, the one who endures to the end will be saved. Listen to that. Will be saved. That's future, right? And, and Paul says in 1 Corinthians 1.18, the word of the cross is folly to those who are perishing, but to us who are being saved, it is the power of God. Being saved, and Paul refers to himself here. That's present tense. Being saved, will be saved. What, what's meant by that? Well, let's first talk about the present. What's happening at present? Scripture is clear that those of us who have been saved We are being saved, and we should be being saved, right? Yeah. We talked about this just a moment ago, but we're saved right now because Christ is standing for us right now on our behalf as our priest. And we're also being made more like Jesus as we continue on in our life with him. That's what's called sanctification, and that's a part of salvation. Many want to separate those two. I don't know why. Scripture doesn't. Sanctification is is not something that may happen to you. It's something that's supposed to be happening to you. As a believer, it's a part of salvation. But we're also told, Jesus says, the one who endures to the end will be saved. So salvation is future as well. There is coming a day, get this, when Jesus is returning. And when he does, we will be saved, believers. We will be made like him. We will be made complete. We will be perfect in him. And that brings us right to our last point. Not only is Jesus our hope for the past, he created us and sustains us. He suffered and died for us in order to redeem us. But he is also our hope for the present. He is our priest who is growing us in godliness. But one last thing, he is also our hope for the future as well. Christ alone is our hope for the future Our future here in this life is uncertain. Though I hope to see you here next week. I know it's pretty sobering to mention this, but it's true. I I can't give you that guarantee. 
I don't know what a day holds for me or for you. Scripture is clear on two things. We're all going to die someday, and that someday may be today. We don't know when our dying day will be. Our future here in this life is uncertain, but believers, our eternal future is locked solid in Christ. It's secure. No matter what happens in this life, those of us in Christ, get this, we're promised forever with him. So, though I don't know what the next year, five years, ten years, twenty years, fifty years holds for us, I know what forever looks like. Now, I don't know the ins and outs of how wonderful it'll be, but I know it'll be wonderful because God tells me so in his word. He tells me that a time is coming when Christ is returning, and it's something to look forward to because it's going to be good for us believers. It's going to be good for us We're told that when he returns, the work being done in us as believers will be completed. When Christ appears, sin will be removed. Pain and heartache will be no longer. No more death, no more tears, no more nothing like that. When Christ returns, we will be made like him, meaning we will inherit a glorified body like his and we will share in his eternal glory that is the blessed hope that we have as believers in christ alone we have this hope in christ alone nothing in this life listen nothing in this life can give you what he can nothing there are things in our world that can make us happy for a season but listen to me happiness is cheap happiness is cheap and it's temporal We can experience joy forever, no matter what happens in the here and now in Christ. Because our future is secure. Our life in him, eternal life in him, is secure. In him, our future is secure. In him, there is life, and not just any life, but abundant and eternal life forever with him. So to close this out, let me say this. The reality is this, we need Jesus. We need him. We need him for our very existence. He alone is our creator. We need him for salvation. He alone is our savior. We need him to stand before God for us. He alone is our high priest and we need him, desperately need him to return for us. He alone is our hope for the future. If you're here this morning, and you don't know Jesus, if you are here this morning and you have yet to give your life up and over to him, if you're not trusting in him alone for your salvation, I'm here to tell you this morning, you are in need. You are in need of Jesus. I'm not telling you to call upon him if you need him. I'm telling you, you need him. You'll perish without him. That's what God tells us clearly in his word. Because without him, there is no life no life physically because he is creator and sustainer of all that is but more importantly there is no life spiritually without him we are lost and hopeless we're shipwrecked if this is you I urge you today turn from your sin give your life the life that Christ has given you up and over to him Run to him 
cling to him, place your faith and trust in Christ and in Christ alone for your salvation and be saved.